I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about a lot of things, so listen fast. Tribute to the brilliant Rich Higgins, Ukrainian money laundering bioweapon PSYOPs, Don't Bank on Trudeau, January 6th assault on civil liberties rolls on, and the CDC is dropping almost all mask mandates. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, health care freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I call the first five a tribute to the brilliant Rich Higgins, and I'm giving Mr. Becker a very late warning that I would love if he could pick, pick up that picture I sent you last week of Rich Higgins. We didn't get around to the story of him, but uh, to tell you that story, but Rich Higgins, there, there's Rich Higgins. Leave that up for a minute. So Rich Higgins uh, passed away this past week, and I want to just do a little tribute to him, uh, mainly because I think he's one of the most unsung heroes in America's fight against cultural Marxism and to reassert the unique greatness of America. So very quickly, I'll, I'll remind you, you, are, you might be thinking, I think I don't know that guy's name. Well, you can come back to me now, Mr. Becker, and I'll tell you the story. So Rich Higgins uh, served briefly under President Trump on the National Security Council. He was on the National Security Council, a um, director of strategic planning, and he was removed from that job very early on. Remember, Trump just got elected in 2016. He takes over in 2017. The National Security Council under him uh, in that very first year in 2017 had on, was blessed to have on it, Rich Higgins. And uh, he, Rich Higgins, wrote a memo that was a warning uh, to the President of the United States and to people in the, on the conservative side, the pro-America, pro-America first agenda people, wrote a memo uh, in his capacity as and strategic planning in the National Security Council to talk about the threats facing America. Before I get into that memo, I'll quickly tell you how I knew Rich Higgins. So my husband and I have had many, many, many events in our home. We host substantive, serious, conservative events in our home, uh, often have wonderful speakers uh, who just do a great job trying to explain to America, to um, to you know to what's going on, what the big deep uh, issues are facing the country. So we'd had an event in our home. I think it was featuring Frank Gaffney, uh, who is the founder of Center for Security Policy, who will, by the way, be joining us this coming Thursday for a full hour show on Thursday, talking about the Ukrainian situation. So Frank sometimes brought Frank Gaffney brought other speakers to our home. One time he brought Rich Higgins. What Rich Higgins is especially astute at and be able to do, just so you know his uh, very quick background, he was, um, you know, uh, he was vice president of intelligence and national security for one organization. Uh, he managed a classified project for the Special Operations Command, SOCOM, 2010-2011. Um, he was Department of Defense. Uh, he formed formed at the Department of Defense the Irregular Warfare Support Program, uh, and he just really was the most, among the most brilliant thinkers in Washington, able to identify the emerging serious new threats in this modern era. At the speech in our home, he talked about, and he's a deep, he was a deep student of the uh, theological, ideological underpinnings of Islam and versus Christianity, and was able to present a, an amazing, you know, no notes at all, just off the top of his, the, uh, off his head, brilliant presentation at this event in our home, talking about the difference in the way Islam teaches its followers, what they teach them to do, how they teach him uh, to act, and why they are motivated to do what they do, which was a lot of jihadist activity uh, that he was describing. And then he contrasts that with Christianity. When he finished that night, you know, we always had crowds of people at our home listening, and when he finished that night, numerous people said, wow, you're about the scariest speaker I ever heard. And it's not just scary, but deep. He helped you realize the deep thinking behind so much of what happened. So Rich Higgins, brilliant guy. Uh, this, this, this all happened. Uh, he's at our home, thought he was great. Had him on my show a few times when he used to be in Salem Radio. 
So then he becomes National Security Council, uh, and uh, he be joins the National Security Council in President Trump's uh, first year of office, and he wrote something that, that came to be called the memo, the memo. And he was fired because he wrote the memo. And I have, I've read it many times, I have a copy of it here with me, but he basically was trying to, to wave a flag, to warn America, to warn President Trump, he called it POTUS, which is, you know, President of the United States, and political warfare. He wrote it in May of 2017. And he essentially was arguing about the convergence of forces in America and around the world that were going to work very, very hard to undermine, unseat, disrupt the entire President Trump America First agenda. That was his point in talking about, you need to understand, Mr. President, here I am in your National Security Council. I want to warn you about these forces that are coming to play against you. I want you to understand, he talked about cultural Marxism. He talked about uh, people in the political uh, atmosphere in Washington, both sides of the aisle, including talking about Republicans who, would, who he understood would, and, and he was right, he was prescient in everything he wrote would be undermining President Trump's America First agenda, talked about the players, uh, radical Islam in the world, and how it influences organizations in America, how radical, I mean, it just, it was the most profoundly deep, astoundingly great memo. And um, this really, really rattled a lot of establishment people in Washington, frankly, because they were exposed by it. They're thinking, they're kind of, I'm not gonna say it out loud, but this is how I really think, thinking. So it was a brilliant memo. I think today, and, and rushing to get ready for the show, I think I did not include a link to the memo uh, in our links for the show today, but almost every show I do on America Can We Talk, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and on the home page under shows, drop down is a list of links. I'll put this in later today, it can be up for tomorrow, to what he wrote called the memo. It was the most, he was doing exactly what his job was, to warn the president of strategies and dangers to his administration. Um, he talks about culturally, culturally conditioned people, uh, limiting responses to attacks against America. I mean, it's just a brilliant memo. So his memo rattled people in the national security world. It was kind of like he said the things you don't say. He spelled out the dangers that they're all of them at some level are a little bit aware of and don't talk about. And so for this memo, he was fired. Well, I can tell you that we, uh, my husband and I happened to be out of town uh, at when this, then he was fired. And um, I um, were on kind of extended trip visiting family, but I saw the news story, he'd been fired. And so I called him, I said, hey, you know, <laughs> I'd love to have you on the show and talk about the memo, uh, which he did do. Uh, this was when I was still on Salem radio. And I don't know that we can find a link to that interview. I've interviewed him since then. I had interviewed him since then in October, like I think 2020. Yeah, probably 2020, October, December, maybe both in that era, because he was among the most astute observers of the American political scene in Washington, period, full stop, brilliant guy. And I'm doing all this tribute because most unfortunately he passed away this past week uh, from compl complications from COVID. And I mean, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I, I am not into discussing other people's health issues. I'll just tell you, very serious complications, long-term, requiring surgery, real, really, really a hard time. Uh, and so I wanna tell all this to you to say that this is a guy who deserves many more accolades and maybe someday looking back at American history, he will get more accolades uh, than he has now because I think, I'm gonna guess most of you listening to the show might have thought, I think I kind of heard of Rich Higgins. I can't really, I can't really remember exactly. Um, but what he did, um, what he did in that memo was really lay out pretty much exactly what President Trump found him. Uh, there is a, uh, a GoFundMe and I unfortunately, uh, don't have the link to that. I can read the number to it, but if you go on GoFundMe, GoFundMe, there is a way to help support Rich, Rich's wife now and four children. He has four children at home still, um, and so that they can have uh, get by because he really was a breadwinner. He had many more things he did in his life. I just wanted to give tribute again to Rich Higgins, and I'll also get up the GoFundMe link on my on my um, website. I'll close by saying this. The kind of bravery Rich Higgins displayed in writing the memo and putting it out 
and standing by it. In fact, he stood by it so much that even after he was fired by the president, uh, wrongly fired, did no, President Trump did not understand the dangers against him, did not understand the, all the players uh, who were working against him, whose who's, uh, thinking and actions and, and kind of worldview are spelled out in Rich's memo. But because Rich Higgins' memo alarmed these people, uh, brought about his termination, unfortunately, uh, he, instead of just you know, kind of you know, walking away and hanging his head, put the, book, put the memo into a book. There's a book you can still order on Amazon called The Memo, Great, Great Insights into What President Trump Faced, Trying to Bring the America First Agenda to America, and frankly, what the America First Agenda still faces in the world today. So Rich Higgins, want to give great, great tribute to him, to truly, truly deeply an American patriot. Okay, I'm going to talk about the next thing to, uh, today, just a brief thing. Actually, put Rich's picture up one more time, would you? Uh, Mr. Becker, I don't know if he's still, yeah, there you go. Well, let me be sure you see, he was a, well, I mean, he was a very serious guy. I teased him a few times about this picture because so, so, like he could smile for a change. He was actually a really good natured guy, but understood the dangers America faced. And I really want to give tribute to Rich Higgins. Okay, so our next topic that I want to turn to is the Ukraine. And I wanted to say my single message to you, no, three or four messages. Number one, Please know that on this show on Thursday, this coming Thursday, which is March 3rd, we'll have uh, for a full hour Frank Gaffney, the founder of Center for Security Policy, truly one of the most extraordinary, uh, deep, wise thinkers in the world of dealing with the threats America faces uh, from national security. Back to the Reagan era as a very young man, the Reagan era up until now, one of the most profound thinkers uh, internationally and nationally about uh, geopolitics, the dangers to America's national security. He'll be spending the time talking with us about the Ukraine. The reason I want to really push that is there are literally in the thousands, or maybe, okay, that's an exaggeration, maybe in the hundreds of false flags, false stories, false implications, false motivations being attributed, all sorts of at least, at the very least, factually inaccurate, far more likely to what they really should be called is honest to goodness, flat out dishonesty uh, on the part of the, um, um, of the media and of people in Washington, players around the world in talking about what's really going on in the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Of course, you know, of course, at the simplest level, you know, Russia has territorial, uh, desires they very very much want to be taking over as they, they they bemoan the loss of their control over eastern europe they bemoan the loss of you know they wanted to be the soviet union grow and grow and even though they're not you know supposedly communists anymore putin still has that same mindset so the invasion of the of the ukraine at the simplest level is a danger it's a warning it's a danger uh, the world recognizing how similarly hitler began his aggression he, uh, he moved west out of germany and how he was promising early on you know i'm only going to take this one area had the famous neville chamberlain you know running back waving a napkin in the air and claiming oh don't worry hitler said you know, his little tiny invasion, the Sudetenland, uh, that's all he's going to do. Don't worry about it. He's not going to do anything else. And so much worry about what Putin really intends with his invasion of the Ukraine. But that is almost like tip of the iceberg. It is tip of the iceberg. I want to just plant some other facts to consider because what I'm really trying to encourage you to do is recognize many in the media, maybe even intending to, to report facts, but they have no way of knowing the facts. They don't know. In fact, CNN acknowledged they get their news about the Russia-Ukraine situation uh, from TikTok videos. They actually announce that. They, of course, they review them. They try to make sure, you know, who put this on TikTok. But it's a really, really, uh, it's a situation where many a piece of misinformation are spread out, and there, and and a lot of what the term is psyops you know, PSYOPS, psychological operations. The whole concept being many with power to do so, are engaged in the mission of turning people's thought in America, the, the American population's thought against Russia and sympathetic with the Ukraine, which, you know, on the surface, they will, sure, you know, Russia invaded, Ukraine's been invaded, you know, of course, those are our sympathies. 
far deeper things to be considered and what America is being contorted into believing and contorted into wanting to perhaps support the Ukraine when actually that may not be the wisest idea. Let me just start with a few facts. So CNN reports based on you know TikTok videos. Very few news outlets have people on the ground. Several huge stories over the weekend turned out to be false flags, as in weren't really true. One was this, uh, you know, this this mystery pilot from uh, Ukraine, from the Kiev, who was, you know, uh, magically uh, flying his plane over sites and bombing Russian sites, and they, they, I forgot they, the the ghost warrior Kiev. There's some name like that for him. Okay, that those were actually taken from a video game. Those were not real. And, and well, I want you to process that because we just spent a weekend. My husband and I just spent a weekend with very heavy-duty, serious political leaders and top-notch thinkers in this country. And many people there were saying, hey, yeah, that was really great. And then realizing, uh, I'm saying, people of influence have been tricked or duped by these stories. So there really was no, um, you know, Kiev, um, you know, mystery pilot story, even though it would have been great, and, and you love it if they're pushing back on the Russians. Uh, many people concerned that the stories about Russian uh, protests in the streets and people out in the streets against Putin uh, may not be true. I mean, that I will say it appears may not be true. I know media stories, just like there were media stories of this pilot who was, you know, um, you know, a bombing, sort, bombing uh, sites in Russia, and he was the hero of the Ukraine. Not true. Uh, many concerns at the stories about protests in Russia, not true. I'm gonna compound that with, there was a story, it was even told by some of this, this meeting I was at, uh, about how, it's a long story, ends with this woman saying to this Russian, you know, once you're killed, you know, I hope you have a packet of seeds, of, you know, sunflower seeds, whatever it was, in your pocket, because, you know, um, when you uh, when you die, you know maybe something good will come up out of the ground. You'll grow. I mean, that was all. Uh, that was a made-up story. In addition, and more seriously, is please remember that the Ukraine, the whole deal in the Ukraine involved to start with, uh, going you know, I guess going from now back in time, uh, U- Ukraine was a source of the basis of trying to remove President Trump for impeachment. Tried to impeach him. Tried to impeach him. Over a phone call he, Trump, made to the then relative new leader in the Ukraine, Zelensky. And Trump is telling him, you know, you might want to look into, and he's obviously making reference to the Biden, Hunter Biden corruption on a massive level. Hunter Biden corruption, massive level. Uh, and Trump is saying, you know, you might want to look into that. So the entire Washington apparatus. I mean, wanting very much to get rid of Trump, as, as Rich Higgins' memo pointed out, the Washington apparatus would always want to get rid of Trump. But that they, they moved into high gear and tried to make a conversation warning, warning Zelensky, or Trump saying to Zelensky, you might want to look into this, when the real corruption, which Trump was rightly pointing out, was right in front of Zelensky, involved the whole Biden, Hunter Biden, Burisma, all of that mess, that's the Ukraine. That's the same country. That's the country that, you know, Hunter Biden was paid, and I've forgotten the numbers, some astronomical uh, thousands of dollars per month. It was like $43,000 a month or some crazy thing. Hunter Biden was played, paid to be in the board of Burisma when he had no relevant job experience or education of any kind. But somehow, you know, he was qualified, and obviously the qualifications were, Hunter Biden's qualifications were his connection to his daddy. That was, that was his job qualification. And so the Ukraine is also reputed to be a massive center of money laundering. Massive center of money laundering. This does not mean, by the way, I understand Ukrainian citizens who are just, you know, trying to live their lives and take care of the kids and all the kind of normal things people do. This doesn't mean that there aren't innocent Ukrainians suffering, because there are. There are innocent Ukrainians suffering, and I'm, I don't like that, and I'm sorry for that. But that doesn't mean, because innocent Ukrainians are suffering, that the entire government apparatus in the Ukraine is innocent and good. It doesn't mean that, and it may mean and I'll tell you another whole factor playing, and that's why I'm really encouraging you, so write it in your calendar, join us on Thursday. You also have the whole factor that Putin in Russia was one of the ones who's been speaking up and saying, 
no, no new world order, not doing it. Don't bring that new world order stuff here. We don't like it. And reputedly, in the Ukraine, much more friendliness, and the Zelensky people, I don't know if this is right, but much uh, widely written about Zelensky, more friendliness to this, you know, new world order stuff. So, you know, maybe what you have, and, and the Ukraine and Russian relationship goes back, uh, you know, obviously eons, and you had the um, Russians uh, not liking the change in, in administration, uh, and Zle- or I'm sorry, prior to Zelensky in the Ukraine, uh, there were riots in the streets. And I remember I had some expert in the show describing this. These were orchestrated, coordinated, uh, funded, agitated by the Obama administration effort to take out the then current leader of the Ukraine to put in a new leader because the then current leader of the Ukraine was too friendly with Putin and Obama and Biden want some of the Ukraine not so friendly to Putin and Russia. So America's had their fingers meddling, at least with psychological operations, at least with contorting the opinions of the Ukrainian people and allegedly contorting and changing out the government in the Ukraine. So you have that background and, and people worried about, you know, the, our current administration, the Biden and the entire anti-American rattle, radical left is running America right now. These are people a thousand percent on board with the new world order, with having the World Economic Forum team kind of take charge of the world, continue to surrender and, and uh, diminish the role of nation states or rights of individuals as guaranteed by their own constitutions, their own governments, the entire anti-American radical left which I, I have to put Biden in that category, even though I think we, most of us are aware he's not really in charge of anything. Uh, he's our you know, puppet president sitting there, controlled by whoever the cabal is, who's actually pulling the strings behind the scenes, because sadly, President Biden is suffering major decline due to some form of dementia. He is not clearly thinking. And so, but whoever's really running the left, these people are all on board with the destruction of America as unique, extraordinary experiment in human liberty that was given to us by our founders and trying to push America and the whole culture, society, government, the whole mindset of America away from pride and love of America and toward the idea of the new world order. So this is these are background facts on the Ukraine that very much impact whether or not we in America, you know, what we should exactly be doing, you know, you have uh, the people and, and whether we should, you know, simply supply armaments, whether we should uh, further economic sanctions, whole big issues surrounding Russia and the Ukraine has to do with the international banking system and how much those kind of sanctions should be used to try to contain Russia's behavior. To be clear, I don't wash, want Russia expanding at all. I don't want Russia expanding into the Ukraine. They, you know, they have Crimea, but expanding into the Ukraine or anywhere else. I, I want the Russians stopped. But it's important to understand all of these factors behind the scenes and understanding you know, who you're helping and who you're harming when you uh, support the Ukrainian uh, people, the Ukrainian government rather, or the Ukrainian country, and, and who's benefited by that. I mean, the, the countries, the companies, private companies staying strong, standing strong in the Ukraine are among the many in the world who have contributed to Hunter Biden's enormous and utterly unearned, undeserved wealth. So you defend Ukraine, you defend Burisma, I don't know, you know, you're, you're ending up helping um, the, the ongoing Biden, Ukrainian, Burisma, uh, you know, quagmire. It's a very complex uh, situation. And I, I will close out. I want to hit one more topic. Um, no, I'm going to do this for another minute or two, just to make something very clear. In America, I use the expression PSYOP, psychological operations. We watch this happening on so many different fronts in America. And what the problem is, it's like the analogy I made to the Truman Show last week or a couple weeks ago, the movie, The Truman Show, where, uh, you know, Jim Carrey's the main guy. He is, his, that is, is the movie is a, the movie is about a television show called The Truman Show in which he, Jim Carrey, plays his character Truman and he does not realize his entire life is a fake, is a farce that everyone around him, everyone he knows, his wife, his businesses, his job, his home, his friends, everything, everyone else knows that it's just a television show. 
He's, and the television show is about watching him do his life, and he doesn't realize that everything he thinks is real isn't real. Well, there's a lot of that kind, and, and I was pointing out that when you're utterly manipulated by the storylines around you, by the headlines out of Washington, the statements out of people in authority, the headlines in media, you are Truman. You are. You, you are being treated like Truman. You're manipulated, and so on this whole situation with Russia and the Ukraine, we don't want to be Truman. We don't want to be like the main guy. I think his name is Truman Burbank is his full name, something like that. But this Jim Carrey character, his, I mean, he finally breaks out the end and realizes, wow, none of my whole life was real. I was being played. Well, we need to not be Truman Burbank and not be played and not be pushed around by false stories, false images, and not recognizing all of the financial power play, uh, you know, political intrigue that's behind this conflict. Again, not supporting Russia invading Ukraine, am supporting get our facts straight before we do things that are really, really uh, alarming. And, and certainly before we ever even think of committing American ground troops, which I think we're still pretty much everyone's saying we should not be doing that. But not getting played should be one of the number one goals of patriots in this country. Don't get played. For our radio listeners, I mean to do this at the start of every show, and I didn't get to it today. For our radio listeners, if you haven't heard the show before, my show is called America Can We Talk. Our website for our show is americacanwetalk.org. americacanwetalk.org. My name is Debbie Georgiatis, and you can find everything about our show by going to our website, americacanwetalk.org. You can listen to the show there. You can at that website. You can listen to the show live. You can go back and listen to past interviews, read our blog posts, read our very popular Why It Matters series at the end of every show. You can really get a flavor for this show by going to the website. You can also at the website, hit subscribe, join our once, week, once a week newsletter, once a week newsletter. Uh, which I urge you to do, comes out usually on Friday, sometimes Saturday, covers all past interviews the previous week, links to uh, the blog postings we're doing. You can also join America Can We Talk for a mere $50 a year, $50, $50 a year, very, very inexpensive. Join America Can We Talk, be part of our team, join the effort to be part of supporting this show, which is a way to keep this show on air. You may know this show, I've been on air since 2014, and I, I have never taken a salary. I do this show out of passionate love of America, determination to try to speak up for America. Two other great ways to support this show, and you can make donations to the show online too. Two other ways to support the show. Uh, one is that you can go to mypillow.com, mypillow.com. Wonderful high quality products at mypillow.com. And at mypillow.com, you can order all sorts of very high quality, very reliable, just really good quality products at a discount of up to 66% off, up to 66% off by putting in the promo code at the end when your order is all ready, ready to go. At the promo code at the end, put in Debbie G, D-E-B-B-I-E-G. I'll say that again. In the promo code, Debbie G, D-E-B-B-I-E-G. Remember that promo code. The other thing, great thing you can do and way to support this show is to buy a product that I drink absolutely every morning without fail. Mr. Becker will have that slide up for our people. And here, the, the product is a, a product you can only order online. You cannot buy it in the store. It's called HydroShot, and it has numerous great flavors. HydroShot is a nitric oxide boost. It, has, it is actually a patented uh, method. No other entity can do it. No one entity has accomplished it, but it, it actually brings uh, directly brings nitrous oxide. It is a um, uh, lost word, antioxidant, a wonderful antioxidant. So you drink it in the morning. You are more refreshed, more endurance, more focus, more energy. I drink one every morning, order a case, and again at h2bev.com, use the promo code DebbieG and come back after the break. For those of you listening online, I always try to rush that a little bit before the radio listeners go off on a break. So I really urge you all, as I've been saying, tune in on Thursday to understand more about the Ukraine. My little, uh, little segment at the bottom of the hour, I want to talk, I called it Don't Bank on Trudeau. Uh, that's my effort at humor. Don't bank on Trudeau. You likely realize after all the discussion in Canada and all of the um, effort of the uh, truckers um, in, in uh, Canada to uh, challenge the COVID mandates in, in uh, Canada 
and the big showdown, they, and you have you know, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, use the Emergency Act, and he put in place all sorts of astonishingly unprecedented, dramatic, uh, uh, you know, unprecedented, um, tyrannical moves against the truckers who were peacefully protesting, supposed to be protected by law in Canada. So the truckers show up, they're protesting COVID mandates, and not really just for themselves, for the whole country, just saying, we're done with this COVID stuff, time for you to be done, Trudeau. So he uses the Emergency Act, and for one week, that act allowed him, without any input from the parliament, to seize the bank accounts of people supporting the truckers' freedom convoy. Seize the bank accounts. And not just the truckers, but people supporting them, people who wrote friendly things on social media. It was the most astonishing power grab in an allegedly free country. Well, backfired big time. So on Monday, they had their hearing in, last Monday, hearing in Parliament. Uh, and so the lower house uh, agreed and supported Trudeau in his invocation of the Emergency Act. But the bill was headed, the, the uh, confirmation of whether he could use the Emergency Act was headed to the uh, higher house, I guess, I don't even know what it's called, House of Lords, whatever it's called in Canada. And they said, um, no, yet. I mean, they didn't vote yet that he got that message. But the big thing I want to tell you what was so important what happened was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was forced to immediately revoke his use of the Emergency War Measures Act, immediately revoke and announce the unfreezing of everyone's bank accounts. And, me, and he just, it was like turned on a dime. And here's why. Because... I mean, just pragmatically, forget about the unique place Canada's in, which I'll get to in a moment. Any country, you have the only reason you or anyone in America agrees and trusts putting your money in the bank is because you think it's your money. You put your life savings in your bank, you put your investment money in bank, and you feel 100% sure that if you show up at the bank one day and say, I want to take it out, they're going to be able to give it back to you. Well, when you think that the government now takes your money away, if it's sitting in the banks, what do you think happens to people's trust? And I'll tell you the answer, people lose trust. Okay, welcome back to our radio listeners. We're in the middle of talking about Trudeau having in Canada, having to turn on a dime, turn around and say, you know, on second thought, he immediately revoked the Emergency Powers Act and he immediately uh, unfroze all the assets that he had frozen. Money that belonged to the truckers, the individual Canadians, people who just want to support the truckers, he had to immediately undo it because the Canadian banking system suddenly realized, and, and Trudeau finally had to think and say, the Canadian people will no longer put their money in banks if, if it is obvious, which it then was, that Trudeau or any other politician on any other farcical, unjustified basis can just freeze your money. I mean, you're gonna, and that's what started to happen. There was a, I don't know if they would use the term run on the banks, but large numbers of people began pulling the money out of the banks in Canada saying, this is crazy. I'm not gonna risk losing my money. What if he decides he doesn't like something that I believe in, that I do? And so Trudeau really provoked by himself and the other World Economic Forum friendly people in his government really provoked a, a crisis in the banking system in Canada. Even deeper than that, and I don't want to get too much into it today because I wasn't going to hit this story big time. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll just tease it until you have to do it another time. The Canadian, Bank Canadian Banking Association is tied to, connected with, and working with the World Economic Forum to lead the digital ID creation. So the Canadian banks didn't just suffer massive withdrawals, but they did suffer that um, because the people realized, hey, wait a minute, I'm not putting my money in here if you're gonna, just gonna take it away. But on top of that, Canada, whose government's filled with World Economic Forum wannabes and people who are friendly to the World Economic Forum, uh, they had been working with World Economic Forum, one of their many globalist agenda items, with leading the digital ID creation and the Canadian Bank's entire relationship with the World Economic Forum was then endangered when Trudeau pulled this extremely, I don't want to make light of it and say, you know, it's kind of a goofball mistake. It's a serious tyrannical move. When the government can take your money away, that is not 
That's not like issuing a citation, you know, for going 32 in a 30 mile an hour zone or something. Massive, massive, uh, outlandish, outrageous conduct by Trudeau. Got called up short. Apparently, World Economic Forum leaders had a, you know, a place to call, a lava call into Trudeau's people and say, uh, you know, not so fast, buddy. We'll talk more about that because there's a whole other arena of um, protection of Americans, unique greatness we haven't gotten into very much. The whole. Uh, digital banking system and all of the other things springing from that. But I'll just say, uh, don't bank on Trudeau. And by that, I mean, I actually very much hope he will not be reelected. He was just elected again, I think fall of 21. So he, he's got a ways to go, but he's really, really uh, caused the people of Canada to uh, doubt him and, and no longer trust in him. So, okay, uh, next I want to do very quickly, I want to talk about January 6th assault. I must tell you, on January 6th, as you well know, um, there was a, um, a protest. Uh, the, the very most I can say about it, it's a protest that got out of control. The protest got out of control. People were in Washington. They'd heard Trump speak, many of them fully aware um, that there were very, very good reasons to doubt whether or not uh, there had been a fair election in 2020. Many people there listening to Trump's speech you know, across town not anywhere near the Capitol, but across town, who then afterwards went over to the Capitol and, and were, some stayed outside, some were in, uh, but as, as the story emerges, it becomes obvious to more and more people that the January 6th protest that got, that, at which a few people got out of control was not an insurrection, it was not an attempt to overthrow the government, and that all of that is another false flag, another psyops psychological operation, another effort by the members of the January 6th committee, uh, the Justice Department, the FBI, all those involved investigating on January 6th, those involved in prosecuting people from January 6th episode. This is another effort to, I mean, and again, I'm telling you, do not be Truman Burbank. Don't get played by this. Don't get drawn into thinking, oh, it was an insurrection. We practically lost our country. No, no, that is completely false. It's not a close question. It's not those two really good arguments, you know, either way. No, January 6th was not an insurrection. But what has happened, this is what the left in not just America, but the left around the world always does. Any opportunity, any event, any episode, they see as an opportunity to increase power and they are perfectly fine, completely misleading the people to see things in a way that just isn't true. Just isn't true. On January 6th, and we've talked about it in the show many times, we'll be, talk more about it. On January 6th, there were, and there is now video available for the public to see, the Capitol Police officers were opening the doors to the Capitol, letting people in. And so some people went in because they probably figure the Capitol Police, they're letting you in, I guess you're allowed in. And normally, I mean, the Capitol has been more and more shut down in recent years, but it still is supposed to be the people's house. And in many days and circumstances, you know, the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol, the people's house is really open to uh, the people of America. But, but what happened January 6th was the, the left saw an effort. They saw an opportunity to completely destroy, or they hope, completely destroy the Trump presidency, the potential for Trump to be ever a candidate again or reelected again, but it's even bigger than that. They also saw the opportunity to silence people who support Donald Trump, who would like to support his agenda. They saw that opportunity as even bigger than that. What the anti-American left has done as a result of the January 6th episode, where the Capitol Police are letting people in, where much evidence exists, much evidence exists that some FBI officials were in the midst of the crowd and trying to stir them up, encouraging them to engage in behavior that could then later cause them to be arrested. I mean, this is a psychological operation of grotesque portions in Washington, seemingly aided by the FBI, Plenty of evidence that the anti-American, truly anti-American, communist-funded Antifa and Black Lives Matter, also in the middle of it, helping to agitate things. And getting forward to where we are today, the January 6th committee formed by the Democrats and two completely repugnant Republicans who should not even have an R by their names anymore, Adam Kinzinger and um, Liz Cheney, 
these two people, these two members of Congress, allegedly Republican, part of the January 6th committee, and of course, giving the left to be able, uh, the uh, capacity to say, oh, it's a bipartisan investigation. And please understand, the January 6th committee is not even slightly about getting to the truth of what happened. They do not look for, look for all the communications that Nancy Pelosi had, if there's anything that they could look into that might make the Democrats appear at least uh, partially responsible, if not complicit, they just don't want to hear about it. We're just not going to go there. On the other hand, you said, if you didn't see, by the way, there was a great film. We had the filmmaker Nick Searcy on this show, uh, and we played a portion of his film called Capital Punishment, and it's C-A-P-I-T-O-L, Capitol, referring to the U.S. Capitol, that beautiful, you know, the people's house, Capital um, Punishment. That film just displayed not just how, you know, out of control the, the situation was in terms of the, the uh, Capitol Police letting people in, uh, and also, though, what the Department of Justice did afterwards and literally showing up at the front doors of people's homes who had not even gotten inside the Capitol, who were outside and still waving their flags and whatever they're yelling, you know, Trump, oh no, make America great. I don't know what they were chanting, but they were not possibly violating the law. And then people inside the Capitol, some who just walked in, you know, waved a flag, stood there, walked back out. They literally had their doors broken down by the FBI and questioned about why they were there, what they were doing. The January 6th commission, committee, the January 6th committee is an inquisition. It is not an investigative insurrection. It's an inquisition. It is an attempt to ferret out every single person in this country who might support the America First agenda, who had all aided President Trump in the final several months of his presidency, uh, putting on really big events, getting his message out. It is a, this is unprecedented in American history, and it is the most dangerous, tyrannical, unjustified conduct by the January 6th committee. And so I gave you that lead in to tell you two quick things that happened related to January 6th. Um, one is uh, that there's a uh, there's a just a fabulous column that's named Julie Kelly who writes at American Greatness and she's been among the premier uh, journalists actually covering the facts and trying to expose to people the many many things that happened that day. Well, she talked about the first trial of a January 6th defendant is set to begin this week. First trial, and again, just so you know, this guy, um, there's a gentleman who's being prosecuted named Guy, his first name is Guy, G-U-I, uh, Refit, R-E-F-F-I-T-T. Uh, he has been in um, jail uh, for 14 months, 14 months, and uh, he has no criminal record, no criminal record. He has no, uh, did not engage in violence in that day. He was forced to remain detained in jail although he committed no violence. And I can't remember if he was one who got into the, um, the, the capital or not, but he was one who, I mean, he had no criminal conduct of any kind. Um, he didn't assault police officers. In fact, even in the indictment, he did not assault police officers. He was attacked by law enforcement with rubber bullets um, and mace, and, and he didn't vandalize any public property. But understand what the judge said when he was deciding this guy had to, be, had to stay in jail. I want you to think about the consequence of this. He was said, the judge said, he has to be held in jail prior to this prosecution. And all they can really prosecute them for is like, you know, unlawful parading or trespass, things that they never prosecute anyone for. But this, he's been held in jail 14 months. Please listen to what the judge said. This judge who was deciding whether or not he had to be held in jail until this trial, the gravity of the, of the offense is not captured by the listed offenses because it was an attack upon democracy and the lawful administration of democracy. And please listen to these following words. My concern is that he still harbors the belief that even after the election results are certified, the Electoral College was processed, that he continued to harbor belief that something untoward was happening in the Democrat process. This is a government taking the side of the Biden anti-American, I don't even know what to call them, that the, the, you know, the, the Marxist movement that's taken over America that is now saying, 
you know, he's not even saying you can't speak. This judge isn't even saying this guy has to stay in jail because he might speak and tell people he thinks the election of 2020 was fraudulent. He's saying because he thinks that he has to stay in jail versus this law-abiding citizen could have been gone, could have gone home. His lawyer said, can't he just wait at home with, you know, one of those wrist uh, ankle things on, the electronic ankle thing so he doesn't get away. But the judge said, no, he has to stay in jail until his trial starts because of what he thinks. Because he refuses to follow the rule, the law, the edict, the mandate of the Biden administration. No one is allowed to think that the election of 2020 was stolen. This is, I am not exaggerating. That's what the judge said as to why this guy had to stay in jail. This is very similar to and tied to the DHS agenda item, the DHS bulletin that came out now two weeks ago, today I think it was, that basically said, you can be considered a domestic terrorist domestic terrorist if you think that the tw if you say anything that sounds like you think the 2020 election was stolen no accountability no research no talking no evidence you can't talk about it you can't even talk about the 2020 election being stolen and you can't talk about covid and challenge anything the government says about the vaccines or other treatments People, we are living in George Orwell's 1984. We're there. This is what George Orwell in 1984 was trying to say. The government's going to become your thought police. And that's what this judge is saying. This guy has to stay in jail pending his trial for trespass because he thinks the election was stolen. Frankly, as do the majority of Americans at this point. But this is where the January 6th injustice rolls on. So that story happened. And then a most unfortunate and sad story, I'll just tell you very briefly, uh, is this idea, uh, is this fact that one of the January 6th defendants, a January 6th defendant uh, named Matthew Perna, P-E-R-N-A, Perna, he happened to, he's from Pennsylvania. He was in Washington, January 6, 2021. He walked through the open door on the Senate side of the building. He walked through the open door, didn't break a window, didn't climb up on the building, walked through an open door, as millions of Americans have at the, at the U.S. Capitol, walked through an open door, and his, he was picked up, his face was picked up in a capital surveillance video, as many other people did. He's, uh, he went in for about 20 minutes, went in the Capitol 20 minutes, wearing a Make America Great shirt. Um, and then and once the U.S. law enforcement, the prosecutors, started getting all that video and trying to find all those people, they showed up at his house, they arrest him, and he ends up saying, okay, you know, um, he, he voluntarily submitted a questioning. So he's not trying to hide and run. He voluntarily submitted January 18th because the, the FBI shows up at his house. A, a local FBI office shows up. He's, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what I did. Doesn't lie. Um, he was indicted by a grand jury in February 2021 uh, of, on four counts, obstructing an official proceeding and trespassing. Okay. So, you know, he didn't do anything. He didn't get in the House chamber. didn't do any guests inside the, the Senate side of the Capitol. Nonviolent participation, he didn't insult, assault anyone, he didn't have a weapon, he didn't vandalize property. So he finally agrees, okay, you know what, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and plead guilty to something, you know, I just wanted to end. Now, pleading guilty was, I guess, uh, you know, you, you don't want to go through a trial, you don't want to sit in jail. So he's awaiting sentencing, and then the government announced that they're going to withhold this sentencing announcement in his case. So he, so he never had a trial. This other trial I tied, the Guy Reffitt, gentleman named Guy Reffitt, his trial does start this week. This guy never had a trial. He goes, okay, I, I trespass. A lot of people plead guilty because they don't want to have a trial. They don't want to, you know, all the expense and all that. So he pled guilty. And then the government announces, you know, we're actually going to hold off on um, announcing sentences until we have uh, we have all these cases processed. And then we'll figure out, you know, try to make the sentencing fair. Well, he's aware of people who were part of January 6th who got long sentences. I mean, people who got years in prison or many months in prison. So this guy, unfortunately, Matthew Perna, uh, age 39, I believe, um, uh, hung, age 37, uh, hung himself this weekend. I, I mean, his aunt, relative said, you know, his life was destroyed. They broke him. They broke him over going to the Capitol, walking in and standing there 20 minutes and walking out. And, and he's now, you know, he's responsible for taking his own life. But the government instilled such fear and, and just, just terror in him 
over doing nothing. People, we are living in a very dangerous time, and in large part because no one in the media, it seems, except Julie Kelly, seems to even care about these cases. You don't hear, I mean, the, the loss of a young man who did basically nothing wrong, and he's, he's, he's gone now. His family's obviously grieving because the government can engage in this, you know, pinpointing, narrowing in, uh, picking on somebody, deciding we're going to make an example out of you. We're going to make a, you know, you're going to be so sorry you came here and I go back to this method. I'm telling you what the, the left is doing. They're using this as a, a vehicle, as a way to say to Americans, never, ever, ever again, never challenge an election. Never. Don't challenge an election. Don't challenge the uh, processes. Don't protest. Don't you dare disagree. And as I say, the DHS bulletin now saying you can't even say out loud that you disagree on the election of 2020 being fair. You can't disagree with that. Can't say there was fraud. Can't say that there's something wrong with the way the government handled COVID and the vaccines. Otherwise, you might be a domestic terrorist. We are truly living in a very, very alarming time. And the answer to you and me and everyone is to not shut up, to speak up more, to keep on speaking truth about America. Last quick story, I'm almost out of time. Um, the CDC um, is uh, dropping uh, uh, almost all mask mandates, almost all mask mandates. And I, I gotta tell you, I, I'm kind of blown away by that because I think that, um, I gotta find one thing real quickly. quickly. Uh, only very recently, we flew over the weekend we went out to California, this meeting I was telling you about, and, and there were tons of people, tons of people in masks. And, um, and uh, I mean, just especially in California, I mean, there's much more of a mask mentality. Uh, are you signaling me something? You're not. Okay. And much more of a mask mentality, uh, much more of a, um, I don't even know what to describe it as, just a... Uh, Fear still filling the hearts of people. Uh, airline still says you have to wear a mask. Anyway, so now at this point, um, we have this. Um, we have the CDC announced like yesterday. You know, now that we think about it, we're pretty much dropping all the mask mandates. And people, I know they're trying to point to, well, the numbers are down. This has changed. That has changed. Um, and I and I'm going to tell you that what's changed is the people are finally awake. The people are finally awake, which leads me to wanting to play a video. I found it from Mr. Becker. You have that video I sent you this Saturday? You would do. Okay. Let's quit. This is Saturday Night Live recently, this weekend, uh, it kind of playing off of how the American people are done with the mask mandates. Oh, you know, that reminds me of this article I read. Oh, honey, with... no one wants to hear about that. <laughs> well, it was in Bloomberg, and I thought it was interesting. What, uh, what article? Well, it... Honey. <laughs> It was just saying how mask mandates had, I don't know, little to no effect on COVID. anything. I just sometimes wonder if any of the things we did actually helped. Gina. No, no, no. We can talk about this incredibly complicated and emotional topic. Yes, yes, of course. I will start hmm. because, um, for instance, while I am so personally relieved that I'm vaccinated. Careful. <laughs> I, just, I sometimes wonder if, um, if other people who are hesitant Careful. <laughs> Might not have, like, a valid... What? <laughs> not valid, but, but understandable. Not tonight. Help me. I think what she means is maybe sometimes we are a little overzealous when we condemn... Oh, no. <laughs> I just think that if people are actually losing their jobs... Oh! No. Careful, girl. Look, vaccines save lives. Fact. Okay, they stop the hospitals from being overrun. Fact. Where are you up to? But did I have to dump my oldest friend just because he didn't get a booster? 
Okay, we can cut this off. I will tell you that it's just, I mean, I never watched Saturday Night Live. Someone sent this to me, but it's interesting. I mean, the CDC has now said basically the new CDC rules, basically about 70% of Americans don't need to wear masks anymore. Uh, New York, the state of New York suddenly decides to lift statewide mask mandate, statewide mask mandate for schools this week. And please remember, if you haven't listened to the show before, We've had numerous doctors on the show, including Dr. Simone Gold, many others explaining that everybody learns, like Medical School 101, masks do not stop the spread of viruses. A virus, the the COVID virus, is about one one thousandth the size of one strand of hair. And as Dr. Simone Gold said in my show, and many others say the same thing, wearing a mask to stop the COVID virus from breathing in or breathing out is like putting up a chain link fence to keep out mosquitoes. Completely pointless, does nothing. And what I'm getting at is this whole PSYOPs effort, the way COVID was used to shut down freedom in America, to force people into doing things they didn't want to do. I think what we're seeing is that this Saturday Night Live, that they're willing to go out there and kind of make a, try to make fun of it, but they're recognizing mass mandates are done. CDC is saying, you know, never mind about that mass mandate stuff. 70% of Americans don't need them after all. Uh, what you're really seeing, and New York is going to, all of a sudden, the mandate's being dropped everywhere. The people are waking up, and the people, the powers that be are finally saying, oh, we better quick jump in line. Say, oh, yeah, 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 we're done with masks. Well, they never done any good at all. For radio listeners, come back Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Talk to you next time. Okay, so our radio listeners are off, and we're done with the show today. So much more to say. So much more to say in so little time. But we always at the close of every show tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And Mr. Becker, did you ever? Oh, you did. Okay. Tribute to the brilliant Rich Higgins that did at the beginning. Rich Higgins was one of America's deepest, clearest thinking patriots. His 2017 The Memo captured Islamism and theological conflict with America's founded cultural Marxism, political warfare against Trump by Republicans as well as Democrats long before anyone else. The memo got him fired by H.R. McMaster. He was a courageous patriot fighter. Uh, God bless him. He will be missed. I hope he can support his family. Ukrainian money laundering, uh, bioweapon psyops. And I have to tell you people, there's so much more to come. I can't urge you strongly enough. Tune in Thursday. Wag the dog vibe suggests war is a useful distraction from America's internal catastrophes brought on by the Biden administration. Open border inflation, unraveling pandemic fraud. Ukraine, well-known as criminal money laundering center for elites and governments. U.S. deep state concocted Russia collusion hoax and impeachment number one involving Trump's efforts to expose Biden family criminality in the Ukraine. And now are in support of heroic Ukrainians, the deep states now supportive of you heroic Ukrainians. I don't know, we better watch them. Sons of Romney, Pelosi and Kerry, all financially involved with Ukraine business. George Soros takes a visible public role extolling the virtues of Ukrainians. Soros never ever supports anything that helps MAGA or helps America as founded. Just be careful if Soros is on the side of the Ukrainians. Denying Russia access to SWIFT, the banking system thing, we'll talk about more later in the week, encourages Russia-China alliance, jeopardizes money as world, America's dollars as the world's reserve currency, exposing America's house of cards financial condition. I want to say before I get off this one, that last sentence, we'll, we'll deep dive into that, I hope tomorrow, to make more sense out of it. It's very complex. And again, of course, with Frank Gaffney on Thursday. Okay, next one, also Ukrainian money laundering bioweapon PSYOP. Real-time reporting not available from mainstream media. News appears to be curated social media postings, curated by whom, with what agenda. Many viral stories of hero- heroic Ukrainians turned out to be fabricated, photoshopped, the ghost pilot, sunflower seeds, phony stories. Reports of multiple U.S.-funded bioweapon labs in the Ukraine, all or almost all bombed by Putin, Belarus, most openly antagonistic to COVID shutdowns, now pledging support of Russia, as Belarus, rather. And by the way, uh, that's a whole other angle we couldn't get to today. Radical left supports arming Ukrainian citizens. They never support arming American citizens. They support a new world order and oppose anyone who stands in the way. America first interests are not at all clear in the Ukraine. Stand by for American We Talk special Thursday show. And then don't bank on Trudeau. Trudeau revokes the emergency powers power grab. Banking system confiscations were driving a bank run against Canadian banks. The damage is ongoing, will not be undone, and may bring Trudeau down. We can only hope. 
when people see the arbitrary and potentially capricious exercise of power to take away the money of political opponents, no one will trust the banking system again unless massive new protections are guaranteed. And on the January 6th assault on civil liberties rolling on, January 6th defendant driven to suicide this past weekend, a January 6th case goes to trial this week over a defendant who didn't even enter the Capitol. The American people see this January 6th political persecution as a disgrace that it is, but out of touch ruling class elites are pressing on with it. Trust in government is understandably at an all time low and going lower and CDC dropping almost all mass mandates. Oh, just in time for the, Bowdoin, uh, the Biden State of the Union. Uh, DC announced no mass mandates, how convenient. Americans are paying attention now, including Saturday Night Live writers know there's no science backing up anything the CDC is doing. It's all about politics, and it probably was all about politics from the very beginning. Americans are rightfully disgusted with the lack of integrity in the entire federal government. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?